2: Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I'm your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and this week on Unscrewed, I'm dedicating a whole episode to a very special listener question about feeling isolated and wanting to connect and do activism to unscrew the sexual culture. And when I got this message, I thought... Who is the right person to talk to? And literally it took me like maybe a half a second to realize that I need to talk to Pamela Merritt. Pamela is the co-founder and co-director of Repro Action, which is an amazing direct action repro justice organization that she's going to tell you all about. And she's been organizing and doing her thing for the cause in St. Louis for a long time. And she she knows more than anyone I know about how to organize when you're not an and a coastal elite state. So, Pamela, thanks for coming on Unscrewed.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Yeah, um, I'm so glad you said yes. I was like, I am not 100% sure what to say to this person, but I know that Pamela does. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I have some ideas. <laughs> yeah, excellent. So, we're going to get into it, but before we do, you know we have to do the lightning round. So, what's been making you happy this week?
0: What's been making me happy this week is watching the fact that so many activists with so many different organizations came together and did amazing work in Virginia, and yes. um, I'm just so inspired by the grassroots effort, by old school canvassing, which is what works, and also by the fact that... Um, that they they did it without throwing abortion rights, LGBTQ rights, and all of the so-called identity politics under yes. the bus. Yes,
2: yes, it is making me super happy too. What's the best sex advice you ever
0: received? To masturbate. <laughs> I think yes. This was in, gosh, this was in my first year of college. And I went to a feminist gathering. And a lot of people were just, you know, talking freely about sex, but talking about it in a partner centered way that was more about, like, what somebody can give you through sex. And one of the attendees said, you know what? Masturbate. Like, think about what you can give yourself. And that masturbation is is sex that sex is not defined just as with some other person and it was really such a simple way of framing that you know there's such a powerful thing about the idea of being able to give yourself pleasure
2: yes amen what has been making you the maddest or saddest around sex and sexuality news lately
0: my, my gut reaction to that question is what makes me very sad is how people are still shaming sex and and particularly when it comes to policy. So the fact that we still talk about teen pregnancy um, in this shameful way and the way that we still talk about access to birth control with, with some sort of quick pivot to all the other uses for birth control. The fact that we still are talking about sex as if it's something that ha- that has to be approved through some weird prism that uh, I don't feel applies to most people. Sex is a beautiful, wonderful thing. It, it doesn't have to be tied to all of these, you know, acceptable parameters. Yes, absolutely.
2: How transformational it would be if we could just talk about like women want birth control because we like sex and don't want to have a baby every time like that. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's, so,
0: that would so be awesome. taboo to
2: just say that.
0: Like, <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So I think, you know, I, I'm seeing some positive moves in it. But, you know, people who are kind of breaking free of what I think has just become a tradition of shaming sex. But, yeah, it it saddens me.
2: Yeah. What's the biggest sex myth that you used to believe but don't believe anymore?
0: I used to believe in virginity. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, I grew up reading, you know, these cheesy romance novels and these descriptions of, you know, the before and after. And it took me a, a, a little while to wrap my head around the idea of, deconstructing that entire notion. And, um, and that actually ties into the notion of masturbation. And, you know, when when people ask me who my first sex partner was, I'm always like me, <laughs> because so, yes. it's like, yeah, you know, it's, that's how I how I see it. But I think uh, I used to believe that there was such a thing as virginity and the descriptions of people, losing their virginity or giving up their virginity were somehow accurate and um, and looking back, I'm like, whoo gosh that was that was a wrong a wrong idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah all right.
2: Finally, who's someone that you think is doing really brave work unscrewing the sexual culture?
0: So there's a local St. Louis blogger and activist called Kendra Holiday. Uh, who has a blog called The Beautiful Kind. She is a force to be reckoned with and talks so openly and freely about sex, about sex work. And I really enjoy watching her. I follow her on social media. And uh, fun fact, we went to high school together. So cool. <laughs> I know. So um, so I, I've known her for a long time and reconnected with her when I moved back to St. Louis. And it's just very refreshing, particularly in a city that has a lot of people, you know, who are perpetuating sex shame, uh, to have somebody who is out there in a very public way talking about sex. Yeah, absolutely. Does she get a lot of blowback? Oh, yeah. I mean, she's gotten... Epic blowback, um, and but and I hope that she's gotten support. I know I've been supportive, but I think I, I just think about all the people who follow her on Twitter or who follow her blog, who are learning from her and growing just from following her and listening to a different perspective. And I think it, you know, that it's incredibly brave, but it's also that that to me is reproductive justice activism, and I and I applaud it. Yes.
2: Well, you you ace the lightning round. You can stay. Yay! <laughs> Winning. Winning. All right, so I got this really lovely email as you know because I I sent it to you, and I just want to read it in so listeners hear it as well because I feel like a lot of listeners are probably feeling similarly. You know, one of the beautiful things about podcasts is that you can reach folks who don't or aren't near you or who aren't near like exciting live events about unscrewing the sexual culture a lot of the time. So I know that my, my listeners are everywhere. So I just want to, I'm going to read this email in and, uh, and then I'm going to like learn from your wisdom and we all are. It's a little long. Uh, it's from a listener named Mattis who writes, my question is basically, what can I do where I am with what I have? I'm a 24-year-old genderqueer person, and I live in unincorporated Weathersfield Township, Ohio, which is in Trumbull County, about 15 minutes away from Youngstown, which is in northeast Ohio on the Pennsylvania border. The greater Youngstown area has a population of about 550,000 people. The part of Trumbull County where I live is a mixture of suburban neighborhoods, rural agricultural land. I live on a one-acre farm, so that's me, and industry. The population skews toward older people because people retire here because the cost of living is so low. We bought our farm for $12,500. It's really very cheap. Wow. I'm like, (laughs) still processing that. But there aren't many jobs. I moved here in May after having lived in Oberlin for five years. That's where I went to college and came out as queer and got politicized about feminism. Yes Means Yes helped with that. And especially that that amazing essay Reclaiming Touch. So thanks for that. You are welcome, Mattis. I always love to hear that. I worked for Oberlin's Title IX office for a while doing trainings about consent, and then last year I did a few consent workshops on my own that were exclusively for men. I grew up as a boy, and most of the world sees me as a man. So for me, being queer is partly about how masculinity doesn't suit me, and I don't want to be bound by other people's expectations of what a man is. And from that perspective, I wanted to talk to those guys about how consent is for them, and thinking about sex differently might be able to ease a pain that they they feel so deeply they can't even speak about it. At least that's what it did for me. So that felt really good, and I think I got through to some people. But I decided to move here because I needed to develop my mechanical skills. My degree is in gender, sexuality, and feminist studies, which is good, but I felt like I was going to die if I didn't work on something mechanical. I want to be able to build a house. I want to understand wiring, plumbing, carpentry, and heating, and work on cars and bikes because I feel like that is the practice of feminist theory. Men control the knowledge about how to do those things right now. And if that doesn't change, we can't win anything in the long term. So here I am in a new place where I don't know very many people, where there's hardly any social scene, and I'm trying to figure out how to do activism. The city of Youngstown isn't horrible or conservative. For example, their non-discrimination ordinance covers gender identity. It's just burned out and sad with a lot of abandoned houses. But it's not like Cleveland. The cultural things like a good music scene or a community theater don't seem to be here. Trumbull County, on the other hand, is kind of a bad place. I go out and don't even see cis women sometimes, let alone trans people. It's like another era of misogyny. I'm not trying to exaggerate, but I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen a woman driving a car with a man in the passenger seat. The biggest culture shock has been coming from a place where men and women talk. Mostly to each other, in mostly the same ways as each other, in mostly the same ways as they do to their own gender, to a place where even speech patterns themselves are way more gendered than I'm used to. Well, I can see now that I went on and on with the backstory for what is essentially a simple question, which is, what do I do to make something better here? Eventually, I'd love to do something with comprehensive queer-friendly sex ed, making a community organization for women and trans people to learn mechanical skills together, abortion and birth control access, GSAs and high school stuff, consent and survivor support, and anything to do with teaching people. My main goal right now is to relatively quickly find people who want to work on something similar, but I don't know where to begin, and I think anything you have to say about it would help. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I can say things about it, Mattis, but I I think Pamela is actually going to be more helpful (laughs) because, you know, just transparently, I grew up in suburban New Jersey and then I went to school in Connecticut and I lived in Boston my adult life and and my experience is not your experience. So, you know, while I might have some ideas about what that's like, I I really don't know.
0: What does that email make you think about, Pamela? Oh, wow. So many thoughts. So many thoughts. So first of all, thank you, Mattis for actually all of that detail, because I think that's really important. And it read kind of like both a personal list of, of wishes and wants and goals. And it also read like an ethnography, right? So thank you for all of those details. I want to circle in and, and really drill down into the idea of the fact that Mattis wants to build and wants to learn the mechanical skills to build because when we think about the description of the community near Youngstown that Mattis gives us, we're really talking about a rebuilding a rehab, so to speak and I Mm. I, I say as I sit in a (laughs) 130 year old rehabbed house in St. Louis, Missouri (laughs) that rehabs take love they take appreciation, they take assessment, and then they take skills, and most importantly, they take skill building along the way. So the first thing that we need to appreciate is that the description that Mattis gave us pretty much so describes the bulk of communities in the United States of America. Most people do not live in in, in coastal elite cities. <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, guilty, like, you
2: know, let's just call yeah. things by their names. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: And one of the things that I I really strongly hope that people learn from 2016 is that we need to understand and listen to what we used to call flyover country. But with I have a little twist on that, which is I don't think we need to sit up there and listen to a whole bunch of Trump supporters. We need to look at the community and really listen to everybody. So, you know, it's not just defined by, you know, who gives us the craziest soundbite. It's really about digging into the community. So the first piece of advice I have is to apply the kind of skills and technique you would to building, to organizing work, organizing should be focused on building movement. So once you've defined those goals, which I I could very clearly hear that there's goals and hopes for the community, you put that in a column and then you have to build a strategy to get there with a very real, not a a hopeful, but a keep it real assessment of where your community is and what parameters are you defining the community so if you're defining it as Youngstown then speak that put that down and this is where I'm going to do work and then once you've kind of decided what your area is you've got these goals then you really need to go out and create opportunities to get that feedback from the community. So what I heard Mattis say is that there's a lot of perception that Mattis has of that community. It's time to figure out whether perception is reality. And that actually is going to require attending a lot of things <laughs> and having conversations. And you can either go to existing events or community activities or, you can create a space that isn't so much about teaching as it is about listening. You know, before you can jump in and do a comprehensive sex education program, you you need to really create a space to find out what are the common community perceptions of sex education, of the challenges that the community might face in various areas, and that'll give you a pattern for how to build up your activism and or your curriculum, right? And I bet you'll also meet people who wanna work with you. Exactly, so um, it has this wonderful side benefit of identifying people who might surprise you. I was super surprised when I started doing outreach to some transitional shelters for homeless women who were pregnant or had recently given birth. And I was really surprised at some of the people in the community who also wanted to go into these shelters and do work. And some of those people were not what I would call, you know, 100% in on feminism. But they were interested in the problem and did want to learn more. So it helped me have a dialogue with them and really figure out kind of what they knew and understood and what they didn't know and understand. So, you know, they're coming in and thinking that this shelter was full of sexually promiscuous, ignorant people. And in in reality... That that was a lack of knowledge because their willingness to go into the shelter demonstrated that they understood that it's not a good thing when people who are pregnant or who have recently given birth are homeless.
2: Wait, so but so, I have a question about this. Uh-huh. I'm curious about how you think about working with people who you know maybe you have points of overlap with but also some of their politics don't comport to yours sort of how do you make the judgment calls about which imperfect partners are are worth working with i guess
0: exactly exactly so let's keep it real there's comfort and uh, in in empowerment in the choir movement work ultimately in my definition requires that we identify who is never going to freaking be with us. And then we also need to identify people who you need to be in dialogue with. So there's a big difference between sitting there and trying to get into an in-depth conversation with somebody who is a diehard white supremacist Trump supporter who thinks that women should be in in the kitchen there's a huge difference between dialogue or trying to start a dialogue with that person and then trying to start a dialogue with somebody who isn't quite with you. But also who just through talking to them, you're able to identify things that they just are are wrong about. I don't believe that everything is up for debate. I believe that there are things that are just there's right and there's wrong and there's facts out there. And I think that, you know, when we're talking about doing work in, in in red states or in conservative areas, we need to be prepared to do the one thing most people are reluctant to do, which is engage in dialogue that will challenge you. We either are going to do that or we're going to say screw it and abandon uh, huge territories. So I believe in the power of our ideas. I believe in reproductive justice. I believe that when people are educated and are inspired through reproductive justice that they get it. I've seen this both in my own life and other people's lives. But it's a difference between teaching or preaching and dialogue. And I'm gonna be completely honest, everybody doesn't do this really well. Everybody's not the best person. To do this, but the scenario that Mattis described is a community that is going to need to be talked to and talked yeah. with. You simply will not be able to go in there with a march or a right. you know a sit-in and and change hearts and minds. The big challenge is how do you dialogue? Because one of the things I'm sure you've noticed this too that is really missing is we people talk at each other. Yeah. and people yell at each other and people you know if you misstate something people jump on each other and I'm the I'm the queen of that so it's something I've identified as is something I work on every day it's a struggle but yeah do you I have like a really hot temper
2: <laughs> yes yeah, yeah and I just like it like some things like people will say some things and I will just like Literally, see red. I call it having like a rage aneurysm, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. and I stop feeling patient or interested or you know all of that stuff, and I'm just like, must destroy. Um, and and it sometimes that's cathartic, right? When it's some asshole on Twitter, and you know it can be fun to spleen that sometimes, but sometimes it it does keep me from engaging in ways that probably would be
0: productive. Yeah, and and it can so. I have a long history of talking openly about my anger management problems, (laughs) (laughs) but perhaps the reason I talk about it is because I need to get it out. You know, I have an entire blog dedicated to, (laughs) you know, my black anger and (laughs) that exists so that I have some place where I can really channel that. I want to be very clear. There's a difference between being in dialogue in a movement space and Compromising who you are—that is not what I'm talking about. I am not talking about uh, me as a black woman going out and trying to, you know, appease or white whisper in white supremacy. I've heard white whisper before. (laughs) I might have coined that phrase. (laughs) Nice. But um, but but there's a tendency in in left spaces for people to fall victim to the expectation that they're going to queer whisper or white whisper that they're somehow going to go out and be a bridge to explain to dominant powerful forces why they need to respect the humanity of an oppressed group that is not what i'm talking about what i'm talking about is actually engaging in a dialogue that helps reveal what the real issue is, what the real misconception is, you know, it doesn't sound like what Mattis is describing is a community that is resistant. Um, And I think that it's a community that, that is untapped, right? Yeah.
2: That's what I hear too.
0: Yeah. So I strongly encourage creating those spaces where people can feel free to say something that. Reveals a lack of knowledge and that takes work. You have to be very deliberate and you know, you've done such a wonderful job uh, in your work of creating spaces where people can ask questions and not be made to feel stupid or be shamed like as, as leftists. I just find myself as a lefty, as organizers, we need to create a space where people can learn. And you can't do that if people can't share. And people won't, people won't share, if they don't feel like there's going to be a legitimate dialogue, if they feel like they're going to be shouted down. At my core, I, I'm fascinated by other people, even though I'm kind of introverted, but I'm fascinated by by where people are. And, And I'll be honest, you know, I've I've done work in in spaces where people have said things that really hurt. Um, So this isn't easy, but it's also something that I think pops up a lot more for folks who organize in red state territory. So we need to be open among ourselves, among the left organizers who are doing work in red states often do share with each other. You know, when I go to take root, which is a conference in Oklahoma every year, Red State Reproductive Justice Conference. It's awesome. But when I go there every year, the, the biggest value for that is to talk to other people doing this organizing work. And we can vent and we can share and we can learn from each other what worked and what what their big takeaways were because it is a different kind of organizing. And if the definition of success is to get a program up and going in Youngstown, then that's going to take a lot of deliberate work to get buy in and to get partnership with people in the community. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at
1: uh1.com.
2: Hey, Unscrewed Nation, time for an announcement break. I am on tour right now promoting my new book, Unscrewed, Women, Sex, Power, and How to Stop Letting the System Screw Us All. Wherever you are, you can support the book by, A, buying it, obviously, and B, leaving an Amazon review. Increasing the number of reviews can really bump a book up in the Amazon search. Even if you didn't buy the book from Amazon, which is totally fine with me, if you could go to Amazon and leave, you know, a five-star review for the book, a couple of sentences about why you liked it, that would make a huge difference. Also, the tour continues tonight on the West Coast. So come see me in Portland, Oregon, in conversation with Andy Zeisler of Bitch Magazine. That's at Powell's on Tuesday, the 28th. Then the next night, I'm at Pegasus in Berkeley in conversation with the fantastic Courtney Martin. And the night after that, I am at the Pleasure Chest in L.A. That is Thursday, November 30th. It's going to be a live recording of the podcast Reality Bites with Courtney Kosak and Steve Hernandez. And it's going to be a great time. And that's just this week. I'll be in more cities after that, including Toronto, Chicago, DC, and more. So make sure to go to getunscrewed.com. Obviously, make sure you've got your book bought, but also click on events, find the date nearest to you, and come out and see me. The whole tour is being made possible by the fantastic folks at the Pleasure Chest. Since 1971, the year I was born, the Pleasure Chest has firmly believed that everyone has a fundamental right to pursue sexual fulfillment. With boutiques in New York, L.A., and Chicago, at which I will be most definitely stopping for tour events for Unscrewed, the Pleasure Chest is committed to accurate pleasure-based education and offers an array of free weekly workshops through their Pleasure Ed program, which is open to anyone looking to expand their pleasure IQ. Their highly trained and sensitive staff is ready to help you find what you're looking for in a safe and judgment-free environment. Prefer to do your sexy shopping online? Visit PleasureChest.com and browse their diverse range of products and special collections curated by today's top sex educators like past Unscrewed guests L Chase and Tristan Taramino, plus Midori, Reed McCallo, and lots more. Check out PleasureChest.com for a complete listing of upcoming events nationwide. And because I got y'all, you can use the code UNSCREWED at checkout and enjoy a free PleasureChest lube with every purchase. All right. See it out there. Now back to the show. Can we get practical about that? Uh-huh. Like when you say get people into a room and make a space where you can hear from them and listen to them. Like are we talking about like showing a movie and getting pizza or like like
0: what does that look like? Great question. So and I love the fact that you said movie and pizza because that's one of my favorite ways to do this. So <laughs> that's um, what would get me there. So <laughs> Yeah, and and it actually I'm I'm a huge documentary film buff. It's amazing how people can talk about something very challenging or even something that's somewhat nuclear in their community through a, a discussion of film versus just a free form you know, circle of people sharing their feelings. So in Missouri, we're doing an infant and maternal mortality campaign. And we have partnered with fusion for a showing of their documentary death by delivery, which specifically Mm. talks about black infant and maternal mortality rates, we screen the film, we do have snacks, and then afterwards we have a panel of experts like doulas obgyns community activists and we usually try to get somebody who has been impacted by either infant maternal or perhaps both mortality and we do it with people who are local to the to the community so we just we did one in the boot hill which is um, ozark territory southern missouri and we had people from the boot hill on our panel the discussions in everyone we've done almost all over the state are are robust and people will feel free to ask a question that might reveal some lack of knowledge because they're asking it about a film. So it creates that one step of distance. Absolutely. So I can't say enough about the power of doing screenings of films and making sure that you do have experts make sure you have a strong moderator who's going to maintain a respectful conversation, but it is incredibly powerful to get people in the room. And I wanna stress that a lot of the people in the room aren't necessarily folks that I would say are 100% on board or even 50% on board with reproductive justice. They came into that space because they wanted to learn more about why black babies are dying and why black women are dying. That's not frustrating, that's an opportunity. This campaign is, is not even a full year old. And we have already seen a an increase in dialogue from people in powerful positions, policymakers, about what we can do um, on the local level and then on a state level to address this problem. If you compare that to last year, we went through an entire year without any powerful people in the leadership, at least, of local communities really talking about this issue to, as a high priority. So... The other thing I'll say is that when we do the screenings, we hooked in partners who weren't necessarily doing abortion rights work, but are, are in the reproductive justice bubble. So for the St. Louis screening of this documentary, we partnered with a group called Flourish, and their work is specific to reducing infant mortality in St. Louis. We've partnered with, you know, local now chapters, we've partnered with the NAACP. So getting partners who uh, who will bring their membership who might be a part of, of the community or a part of the oppression that you're trying to highlight from a different angle, that's that's awesome. Like that's intersectional, that's using intersectionality yeah. as a tool, right? Well, and especially um, for someone like Mattis who doesn't sound like is
2: currently affiliated with any group. So like literally they don't have a list of their own, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of even just getting the word out. I think- Partners are going to be key to this enterprise, like finding out which institutions they can, you know, just start conversing with that might support one effort or another, even if they're not fully on board for Mattis's
0: full vision. Exactly. And that's also an awesome way to build relationships with organizations that are also doing work. And they might want to also think of it as a way to identify where there's not a relationship opportunity. So one of the things that we're able to discern is you know, who's willing to partner with us and then also who is hostile. And it's good to know who's like, ugh, no, we don't need to talk about this. But specific to comprehensive sex education, there are probably people on the ground who are doing, you know, STI reduction work from a medical provider stance. There's uh, teachers, there's probably PTAs, there might be student groups that are interested in doing this group like so, at the high schools. Exactly. So, yeah. so, so when you start thinking about that, and then think about what kind of film, what there's tons of them, I've yet to do work. on on an issue and not be able to identify a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, documentary filmmakers, for making my work easier. But yeah, that is a great way to get it started. And then make sure that you get people to sign in, make sure that you capture phone numbers and email addresses, and then have an ask. Whatever it is, even if the ask is as simple as saying, Will you commit to coming to another community meeting about this issue? And then you're also building community because nothing. I mean, I'm a, again, I'll confess, I love watching documentaries, but it's so fun to just sit in a room with people and experience a really good film. So, you know, even if you only have 10 people in the room, that's 10 people. And don't be discouraged by that initial turnout. Just remember that you have to build a foundation one brick at a time. And so if you can get, you can get five people who are emotionally connected to an issue um, and who are willing to learn, then that is a powerful thing. Well, that actually was going to be my follow-up question, which is we've
2: talked sort of about having tempers in terms of dealing with people who say things that are hurtful or are oppositional to our existence or things like that. But how do you draw on the long term patience that's required? I mean, one of the things that I hear in tension maybe between Mattis's email, and what you're saying is like, I hear this, and maybe I'm wrong, Mattis, you can, can write and correct me, but I hear this sort of like eagerness to get started and like do the work, right? Like get something going. And I love that impulse, right? Like, and I feel that. But also really actually doing the work is an incredibly slow slog. And like, how do you stay motivated and patient? If, I, I don't know about you, but patience is not my strong suit.
0: Yeah, my patience is a challenge. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would say the number one thing I do is be mindful, and I'm a big fan of mindfulness, but be mindful of how we got here. We didn't become a, a, a state with an overwhelming anti abortion, you know, supermajority in elected office. And anti-blackness infused in all of our power structure. We didn't become that overnight. So deconstructing that is not going to happen overnight. I want to you know, be mindful of how we got here and be mindful that ultimately we can win. I'm a strategy buff. So part of what I find comfort in is revisiting strategy. So I find comfort in a reminder of the fact that the you know, resistance is a stage, but liberation is my ultimate goal. So Mm -hmm. every step I take is a step towards that ultimate goal. Even if I stumble, even if I'm shoved back, I have a path and I have a strategy and we are going to win. The other thing that is so important is to revisit history. History is a gift. I'm a living example of the power of activism my entire life is made possible because people organized they put their bodies and their lives on the line and they made social change so and they I- were incredibly patient you know yeah i spent or- inauguration
2: day at the mlk museum in memphis because uh, mm-hmm. i happened to be there on a research trip and i don't think i had realized until then like how long the civil rights movement was like working on stuff before all the events that are you know popularly known in u.s culture right like the amount of persistence and quiet unremarked upon work that was really eye-opening for me honestly and it was really inspiring in a way like oh right like none of this happens
0: magically it's not like you just have a march right (laughs) also uh, i want to point out that they were also appropriately impatient I constantly watch um, the Eyes on the Prize documentary that PBS did. So there are those wonderful moments where people were impatient. So you had this dedication and focus and bravery but you also had people, organizations like SNCC who Mm -hmm. were like, I don't think you're doing it right and I know that I've got everybody telling us not to go on these bus tours and screw you, we're gonna do this. I think that there also has to, has to be that tension. And you really have to trust your gut of when to lean into the tension. Part of what fuels the work is that, I, you know, I wish we could wake up tomorrow and live in a world where people have the right to determine whether or not to parent, where people's worthiness is not being valued on their ability to parent. And you know that they have the supports that they need to live in communities and you know support their families as they define family and live free of oppression and violence. But knowing that we're not there, I'm not exactly patient about. I'm focused, and i I definitely channel my frustration into action, but give yourself permission to refuel, to do the kind of spiritual or emotional recentering that needs to happen on a pretty regular basis in order to do work in communities where you're you're guaranteed just like the sun's gonna rise and it's gonna rain one of these days you're gonna definitely get pushback so you have to have a strategy of how you personally the activists respond to pushback yeah
2: we are almost out of time, Pamela. I feel like I could talk to you about this for, like, another hour. But I want to make sure to give some time to for, to for folks to hear about the amazing stuff you're doing at ReproAction. In addition to the infant mortality campaign you talked about, I, as as you know, have been a big fan of your abortion. It's not just for your mistress campaign. <laughs>
0: Yes, which, by the way, uh, it, it, Billboard is up in P- outside of Pittsburgh. So since we were talking about, like, Ohio-Pennsylvania borders. <laughs> amazing. What kind of responses are you getting to the campaign? Um, we've gotten a lot of, of very enthusiastic responses. Um, my co-director, Erin Mattson, was contacted on Twitter by a woman who said that she intended to take a selfie by it. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> And we've also gotten some people who um, are, you know, expressed that they're offended by it. We're deliberately a left flank organization. So, um, so, you know, we, we want to do provocative work that um, that does shake people up and starts people discussing things. So I, I would say I was actually surprised by how excited and supportive everybody was. But, yeah, you know, kind of a mixed response. And even the people who are like, "Ugh, I didn't like that are still talking about it. So I count that as a huge win. Yeah. So what else are you all up to? Um, I'm so glad that you asked. So. (laughs) (laughs) So, we have an organizer on the ground in Northern Virginia um, who is relatively new. So, look for some direct action campaigns in Northern Virginia as well. We are very dedicated to exposing fake clinics. These are the anti-abortion fake clinics, um, otherwise called Crisis Pregnancy Centers. So, we're working very aggressively on exposing fake clinics through direct action and are excited to be doing that work going forward. Um, We have a toolkit that we have online at reproaction.org that is on the homepage and it is designed, and we're so excited about it designed for activists to use to be able to organize direct actions to expose fake clinics in their own community. So nice. Yeah. So if you're not in Missouri, or if you're even if you're in a part of Missouri, where we're not currently organizing direct actions at CPCs, you can still do this.
2: Yes, good, good advice. advice. Excellent. Excellent. Pamela Merritt, thank you so much for coming on Unscrewed. Uh, This has been fantastic and I think will be itself in some ways a toolkit for so many listeners. Do you want to shout out other places people can follow you in addition to Reproaction.org?
0: Yes. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited. This has been so much fun. So you can follow ReproAction on Twitter. It's at ReproAction. We're also ReproAction on Facebook and on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Fu. Yes. And you should.
2: (laughs) And you can follow me on Twitter at JacquelineF, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F as in Friedman, and on Instagram at JacquelineFable. You can find all my stuff at JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N.com. Obviously, keep the listener emails coming. I love getting them. Uh, This is the last full episode of the season, but I'll be doing more next year um, and would love to hear what you want me to talk about. Um, You can find Unscrewed uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast. While you're there, make sure you are subscribed. We're going to be on hiatus for a bit and want to make sure you hear new episodes when we come back. Unscrewed is produced and edited by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman. Our In-N-Out music is by The Pink Tiles and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was developed in collaboration with The Establishment, who also designed the sound cues. Until next week, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex life. You know,